0: Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. 1 and then we're going to segue into uh, the book of Revelation as well. Uh, So Acts chapter 1, 1 to 8 and then if you have a physical Bible and you want to go there, we're going to go straight into Revelation 7, 9 to 10 uh, straight after that. Uh, And so this is the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Revelation 7 verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude... That no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out, verse 10, with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this is the word of the Lord. Y'all couldn't go ahead and have a seat. It is again a pleasure as always to be here. It feels weird for me to say that every week, uh, but it really is a pleasure to be here, particularly after being up in, uh, in the northern beaches uh, as they launched. Um, it was great to be there. Uh, Sam and Isaac were there. We were there. There were some folks from City, uh, and then a whole sea of people that I uh, don't even know who they were, uh, but it was, it was a great time, and it actually just made me a bit nostalgic, like, oh man, we were here one time as well, and it was just great to be there, but also it, it uh, I've been saying this to a few of y'all, it, it really stoked a hunger to just be back uh, with my people, with, with, with us here. And so, and it's fitting that today we're going to be kicking off a new yearly rhythm. We're going to be stopping every single year uh, to dedicate uh, one Sunday uh, to Global Mission, Global Mission Sunday. It feels like I've been around the world today driving, uh, so it, it's fitting that today is, is that day. Uh, but again, just such a pleasure to have played a part in not, not only uh, planting this church with 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 y'all, uh, but sort of setting some trends there for James and Callan and and the folks up there. Um, so I want us to really continue to pray for them. I'm going to ask Sebastian later on to come and pray, and uh, would love to commit Anchor Northern Beaches uh, to prayer. Uh, n- not only partnering with them in prayer, but as as you know, we put aside 10% of all of our member giving towards uh, church planting, and out of that, uh, we with Anchor City are also helping fund Northern Beaches, and so it's just a real honor to partner with them in, in that way, to be called uh, to do that. And it's every single one of us, every single one of us has been called, if you call Jesus Lord, uh, we've been called not to just receive salvation, but actually to be brokers of it to the world. And uh, today we're going to pause and meditate on God's desire to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, and I want to share something that is going to be deceivingly simple, uh, but I hope uh, deeply profound. And it's, it's this, that the mission of God is absolutely unstoppable. Like it's, it's utterly and absolutely unstoppable. And it is surprisingly unhurried. The mission of God is both absolutely unstoppable and surprisingly unhurried but before we uh, get into that let me pray for us again father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you that you in fact are here uh, that uh, i want to remind us every single week that we do not invite you into this space you have called us into this space and i pray that you would awaken us to what you are doing Uh, Wherever we are here today, how we come, Lord, if there is conviction that your Spirit needs to apply, may you convict. If there is comfort, comfort. If there is uh, an awakening, awaken us, Lord, awaken us from the stupor uh, that we are under oftentimes. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a mighty work in this place this afternoon. And more than anything, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, Amen. we live in a crazy world, don't we? In the span of 20 years or so, we have gone through so much as a society. And it's not to say that other societies and other epochs and other ages uh, didn't go through stuff, uh, but there's just a way that we're going through things because we know, because of the way that we can communicate with the world. We've been through so many shifts. Some of us here, not all of us, some of us will remember what it means to live in a pre-internet world, right? Uh, it, not everyone had that coming into their homes. Some of us have experienced a pre-9-11 world and a post-9-11 world. How, uh, like we, 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 we've we planted a church in the middle of, a, of an epoch-changing era, like through COVID-19. Like that's n- nothing to balk at, the fact that God has been so gracious and generous to us uh, To to really just... Propel us forward when we didn't even know. Like I was thinking about it today while I was up at Northern Beaches, a few weeks out. Like if you remember, we didn't even know if we were going to launch publicly. Like that's how up in the air it was for us. But I want to be here. I'm going to unofficially announce this. Don't take this take this with a grain of salt. But I'm going to unofficially announce this that we are. No longer in a pandemic. I want to uh, just unofficially say we are no longer in the middle of, at least personally, I don't feel that we are in the middle of a pandemic. It feels like COVID-19 is very well and truly in our rear view mirror, something that we have to just simply live with and manage now. Right, It's just a it's just world that we live in. It is has become furniture. It's a staple of our world. There's been pandemics uh, here and there. They've come. They have gone throughout all of history. Just, so I want to remind us that this is not something that only we've gone through throughout history. There have been several pandemics. I want to name a few just to put us into perspective. There was uh, five million people died during the Antonine Plague in the second century. The plague of Justinian Justin- of Justin- of took 30 to 50 right? with did I, say Justin Timberlake? <laughs> Justin Did I say Justin Timberlake? My love, okay. Uh, the plague of Justin Timberlake <laughs> took, took uh, 30 to 50 million people in the 6th century. In the 8th century, there was a Japanese smallpox epidemic that took about 1 million lives. Uh, the greatest of them all, the bubonic plague, the Black Death, took 200 million people in the 14th century. Uh, fast forward to the 16th century, there was another plague that took 56 million people from by smallpox on and on. You have the Spanish flu, the Russian flu, the Asian flu in the 1950s, the Hong Kong flu in the 60s and early 70s. It took about 70, about, about 2 million people. And then we have SARS and MERS and Ebola and swine. It took about 2 million people in a very recent history. And our own beloved COVID-19 is clocking at about 6 million lives and counting, depending on how you count that. Now, pandemics and germs, we have to understand, uh, they've disrupted our lives, like severely disrupted our lives, but it's nothing nothing new. In fact, you know, I remember about a year ago uh, explaining this to you that at the time, about a year ago, if you took every single COVID-19 particle that was in circulation in the world, you can fit it inside a 375 mil Coke can. That is wild to think that something that can fit at least a year ago something that can fit in a 375 mil can has disrupted our world the way it has like it's it's wild to think that something so small so 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 microscopic can change our world the way it did and in essence it feels unstoppable it's felt unstoppable and it's not very different to the reality that i want to highlight here today that the reality that the early followers Of Jesus, a group so small, no bigger than what we can fit in this room today, right? A group so small, no bigger than us, changed the world. And that's not insignificant. Although we seem insignificant, it seemed insignificant to think that 70 disciples of Jesus could turn the world upside down down. They became a force that was absolutely unstoppable with the gospel in their hands and on their lips. And it starts right here in the book of Acts chapter one. I want to read it again. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's speaking of what we see in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. And it's difficult. It's difficult for us to enter into the experience of the first followers of Jesus. You have to remember that at this point, Jesus had been risen now for 40 days, a, a bit over a month. And try to picture this, that the, the person that you have placed all of your hope in has been taken from you, has been murdered, has been tortured. The, the, the thing that you you put all your, the basket where you put all your eggs in, this Jesus basket was taken away From you, dead, gone, murdered, the hope of their national liberation, gone, the desire to see God's rule enacted in the world, finished. Death had killed the mission, right? And we forget this. We we pass by Friday so quickly that we forget that they had to sit there for a couple days, like just not knowing what to do. The mission was dead. Death had killed the author of life. And what they find out on Sunday morning is that death had been swallowed up in victory, as Paul calls it. That their Messiah was alive. That not even death could stop the mission. That not even death could stop the Messiah. And not without setbacks. We see all through the book of Acts the word spreading over and over and over again. There's this, there's this tagline in the book of Acts. If you, if you read it again, I want you to follow it. It says that the word grew. Th- those are like chapter markers in the book of Acts. The word continue to grow to be preached in the face of opposition and in fact it was in the face of persecution that the church grew right and this happens over and over again what we see is that oftentimes when modern governments and ancient governments and when they try to put a lid on Christianity what happens is that it begins to explode it begins to ferment and explode From a band of 70 or so disciples, there are today approximately 2.3 billion people scattered in our world who practice some form of Christianity today. And if there were a face, listen, if there were a face that we would post up, a face for who the, the average Christian is, I'm not sure what you have in your mind, usually we think it looks like us. But the average Christian in the world today is a poor, young, uneducated woman in sub-Saharan Africa. That's who's the normal Christian. If you rounded up all the Christians in the world, most likely, what you, and you would just like randomly choose someone, it would be a young, poor, uneducated woman in sub-Saharan Africa. But I want to ask how. How Did the mission of God, his desire to renew and reconcile all things in Jesus Christ. And do we get that? That God's mission is not, I'm getting ahead of myself here because we're going to go to that, but God's mission is not to just secure our own salvation. It is to reconcile all things through Christ. How is it that despite opposition and despite persecution and despite hardships, how is it in a time where in the early church, it was disadvantage it, was, it wasn't to your advantage that you become a Christian. You get that. Now it, it, like, become a Christian or, or not. It, it may not make you lose your job. It, in our culture, it's not going to lead to persecution. How is it that during the first few centuries, where to sign up, where, where, where to pledge allegiance to Jesus could mean your death, could mean that you were ostracized? could mean that you've lost your friends and your, your, your social circles? Like, oh, would we be willing to pay that price today? How is it that the church could explode under such circumstances where it was not to any, was at anyone's advantage to become a Christian? How is it that the church continued to grow? I want to go back to verse 5 where, where John, uh, uh, Jesus reminds them, For John baptized with water, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Simply put, and not to be overly simplistic and deny political and social and cultural and geographic realities in the early church. Put simply, when we get to the bottom of everything, the reason why the mission of God is unstoppable, the reason why we can continue to go is because of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Because this is the reality, that we can do nothing Nothing apart from the Spirit of God. And Jesus, it's interesting, he orders them to not go anywhere. Like, this is wild to me. It's wild uh, and it seems so counterintuitive because, listen, the Lord is risen, right? Death has been defeated. The devil has been conquered. Why do we have to wait? They're commanded to wait because of this. Because to engage in the mission of God without the Spirit of god would lead them to generate a whole lot of activity that in the end will not amount to much and maybe some of us are there we're we're feeling uh that we are burnt out or we're feeling uh like like we we can't give any more to do anything anything apart from the empowering presence of god is only going to lead to burnout and to exhaustion and to frustration to this perpetual feeling that we are spinning our wheels in the mud and going nowhere And the lord has not only called us to embody faithfulness but to bear fruit and fruit that will last and he assures us listen you need to sit here and you need to know without the shadow of a doubt that he ensures us he assures us that the mission will not fail now it might not go the way you think it will go it definitely doesn't mean that we're going to be spared from hardships it may not look the way you think. It may not pan out the way you think winning in the kingdom of God could look very different from what you think it could look like. Every, every month, I'm trying to spend uh, some time reading the book of Hebrews. And I, w- I want to read the book of Hebrews in one setting. It'll take you about 40 to 45 minutes because it's, it's actually originally a sermon. So it's meant to be read all together. And it was a sermon that was preached so that the Christians in the early church would endure. But whenever I get to chapter 11, it blows me away because this chapter... It's talking about faith, right? Faith this, faith that. If you grew up in church, it was called the Hall of Faith. Uh, if you went to VBS or something like that, I'm sorry that I had to bring that up. Uh, but uh, for some, like in, in chapter 11, victory looks a certain way and another. For some, it meant Enoch didn't taste death, right? Like, I, I want that kind of victory. Uh, for Noah, it meant he was able to build the ark. For Sarah, she was able to conceive, By faith, it says, Moses led the people through the Red Sea. And then verse 32 says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of The sword were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, quenched the women. Sorry, women received back their dead by resurrection. And then there's this turn, right? Like so far, let me go back. So far, like this is looking great for us. This is looking so good for team Jesus, right? Like conquering kingdoms and forcing justice, quenching fire, right? And then like, he just, some were tortured, right? Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Like this is William Wallace stuff right? They went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The question for us is, do we have a certain picture in our mind of what it looks like for the mission to go forward? Are we able to say with abandon that we will abandon our lives to the will and the purposes of God? Because this may be what he's calling us to. I don't know what's, hap- what's going to happen in the world in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. I, I simply don't know. But what will happen if we ever get to a point where it becomes costly to follow Jesus? Where it becomes costly to continue on with the mission of God? I mean, this turns real quick on a dime from, from an idea of victory to being sawn in two. It's wild. We are called to something so radical, this radical abandonment to the will of God. And the question for us is, can we say yes, regardless of what's going to happen to us? Because the mission of God is going to go forward with or without us. He would like to do it with us. Our our father is calling us to go to work with him, and yet it may not look the way we think it could look. Because to partner with God for the renewal of all things, we must be prepared to live within a reality that is not orchestrated by my plans, by your plans. We must live with a radical abandonment to the will and the plan and the purposes of God, come what may. The point is this, that regardless Regardless of our particular circumstances that we may find ourselves in or our government in or the state of our world, things that we should care about, by the way, things that we should work towards, things that we have agency in, regardless of how easy or how difficult things may be, what, what, what I want you to sort of settle for yourself today is that the mission of God, what he is doing in the world is absolutely unstoppable. You are on the right side of history even when it doesn't look that way and that's why jesus can say in matthew 16 that not even the gates of hell will prevail over the church that, like not even hell all of hell will prevail over the church think about that for a moment we often think that the church is somehow on the defensive in our culture that that's, that's how we feel that's how we're, we're made to feel that's how we're made to think have you ever seen someone go into battle with a gate it it doesn't happen right a gate is a defensive mechanism. A gate is something you shut to protect yourself. And the church is not on the defense, it is in fact on the offense. It is storming the gates of hell. That that is what the church is doing. Every single person that you forgive when it, it you when maybe you shouldn't, right? Like when everything around you is saying you shouldn't forgive them. Every single person that you help and you pray for, every single person that you reconcile with despite the fact that some funky stuff has happened between you when that happens that is you storming the gates of hell hell would say that you shouldn't forgive the person hell would say that you should keep all of your money to yourself hell would say that you should be jealous to guard your time only for yourself and spend it on you and yet storming the gates of hell may not look the way we think storming the gates of hell means that as we listen to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we practice them in faith, that is storming the gates of hell. And that is what we are called to. That is what the the, the darkest, deepest, fiery pit of hell would never be able to conquer. Listen, there is nothing, nothing, I wrote that in bold, nothing. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that is a real and true threat to the gospel moving forward. It is a lie when you hear all these preachers or the news or someone saying, this is the new threat to the gospel. There is no real threat to the gospel. Okay, let me just say this. There is no real threat to the gospel. The gospel will continue to go forward. It is absolutely unstoppable. But the mission of God is also surprisingly unhurried. It is, it is not in a rush. Listen to what happens in the next couple of verses, verse six, Acts chapter one. So when they had come together, they asked him, speaking to Jesus, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" And Jesus responds to them, "It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs in Jerusalem." and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so right off the heels of Jesus telling his disciples, listen, you need to chill, you need to wait. Their impatience rears their ugly heads. They want to know, and they want to know now what Jesus's plan is. This is something of what they're saying. They're saying, okay, So you've suffered, you've been betrayed, you were tortured, you were tried in a kangaroo court, you died a brutal death, a public and humiliating death, you were buried for three days and you've resurrected to new life, something that no one expected was going to happen and now you've been teaching us for 40 days about the kingdom of God and we want to know, will you now finally restore the earthly kingdom of God through and with the ethnic people Israel that is what they're asking this blows my mind that these guys were walking with Jesus all this time I mean whatever seminary education you think you can get like they spent 40 days with Jesus like post-resurrection and they're still on about ethnic national Israel like they still don't get the fact That God God is not just working through this one people, but he wants to go through the ends of the earth. Like, it's wild that they don't get it. Except when I think about myself and the things that I don't understand still, I would probably be much worse than them. Their idea of the kingdom of God was that it would come now in its fullness and that Jesus would physically judge Rome and remove their oppressors and enact the physical kingdom of God right then and there. They wanted it now. They were showing their impatience, much like you and me. They wanted the kingdom of God. Now now listen, that's not all a bad thing, right? It's a beautiful thing for them to want to see God's justice and glory extend through the earth. They had this vision in their mind from Isaiah chapter 2, where it says, in the last days, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is beautiful, and He will judge between nations and will settle disputes between many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Right? Like they, they will take things that are meant for destruction and will make them for the cultivation and the beauty of the earth. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more like that is a beautiful vision that we we should want to be like the disciples and say is it now that you're going to do it is it now is it in this way and yet and yet and yet Jesus says chill that that's not the way that we're going to go about it they would have already gotten a real sense that the mission of God what he is doing in the world to renew and reconcile all things to himself was absolutely unstoppable I mean even death the final enemy could not stop it but they continue to fail to grasp but the mission of God is also unhurried that it is absolutely unstoppable but it is surprisingly unhurried the disciples here are marked by impatience like deep deep impatience by hurry but the mission of God will not only be accomplished in his way but only in his timing it's marked And what what, what I want this church to be, what I want you to be marked by and me to be marked by and this church to be marked by as we are the people of God is this patient urgency. There is this urgency to speak the gospel. There's an urgency to be formed into the people of God. There's this urgency to have Christ formed in us. And yet we do that patiently. The church father Tertullian called it a patient urgency. I love that. There are things to do. There are sermons to preach, bodies to heal, the poor to feed, the naked to clothe, the gospel to be preached in its fullness. And yet, we do that not in a spirit of frenetic anxiety. We do that knowing that God is in control and so we need not worry. And they ask, now, Lord, now. Now, will you do it now? But Jesus, like the G that he is, says, chill out. That's not for you to know. Like, he, Jesus doesn't like, tell us everything. Right? That's not for you to know But just know that you're gonna receive power and you will be my martyrs, my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus is calling them to the mission of God of calling all nations to himself. And it's interesting. It's interesting that he doesn't do this based on their natural abilities. He doesn't say, okay, the greatest evangelist of you, that, that's who I'm sending out. The people person, the, the, if you're comfortable speaking to people, I'll send you out. But, it, but if you're not, then you're excused somehow, right? He, he sends them all out. And this is God's mission, first and foremost, not our own, not our timing, not based on our natural abilities. And we are called to engage in the mission of God, which I want to make clear to you again, which is to reconcile and renew all things in Christ with patience. Did you know there were no missions agencies in the early church? There were no conferences about mission. There were no books written about mission. There were no uh, 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 courses about how to share the gospel with your friends. There was, there was nothing on how to do evangelism. Now, I'm not against any of those things, but I wonder if in the modern church, if in, in our life we use those things as a, as a way to cover up the fact that we're not operating in the Spirit's power. Right, Like we use all of these things to to maybe cover up the fact that just maybe we just need to, to know a couple more tips and tools. I wonder if you remember the woman at the well in John chapter four. I wonder if right after she encountered Jesus, did she go to like an evangelism course? Right. She encountered Jesus. And what did she do? She went back to the people who hated her the people who berated her, the people who shamed her, her enemies. And she, she says, come and see the man who has told me everything about my life. She needed nothing except the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And we often ourselves will lack the patience to sustain the urgency of the gospel. I want us to just pause here for a moment and just help us to get a a sense of just how slow God is prone to work. Just how incredibly slow the Trinity actually is the age of the universe is estimated to be about 13. Point, I'm not arguing with you after this, by the way. Uh, but the age of the universe is estimated to be about 13.8 billion years. Now, I don't mean to scandalize any anyone here, uh, but I, I tend to believe that's correct. The Earth being 4.5 billion years old, it's hard for us to comprehend that kind of time. Uh, now, some of you here may believe that the Earth is uh, just about 7,000 years old, and regardless of where you sit, whether I mean that's a it's a large gap, right? But it's not so much a matter of difference, but of degree, right? Those are two different sort of time markers, but still, they're very, very, very large. And when Paul writes in Galatians 4:4 4, 4, that at the fullness of time Jesus came forth, that God sent forth Jesus to redeem and to renew humanity, whether we're talking about 5,000 years between Adam and Jesus or billions of years. That's a long time. This is the point, that God is not in a rush. God, is in no, God has all the time in the world. He is not anxious. He is not in a rush. In the first 300 years of the church, they did not write a book on love. They did not write a book on evangelism. They did not, what, they, what they wrote on? Patience. They actually wrote more about patience than anything else in the first 300 years of the church. In his absolutely wonderful book, it's called The, the Patient Ferment of the Early Church, uh, Alan Kreider he, he says this. He says, The Christians believed that God is patient and that Jesus visibly embodied patience. And they concluded that they, trusting in God, should be patient not controlling events, not anxious or in a hurry, and never using force to achieve their ends. We, much like the disciples, want to control the coming of the kingdom. We are in a hurry. But Jesus reminds them, it's not up to you to know, just be prepared to receive power and be my witnesses. That is what we are called to do. In other words, there's a lot to do, there's a lot of ground to cover, but there's no need to rush. And I know for a lot of us, we, we feel maybe like we want to rush, but there's no need to rush. If we're going to join God in what he's doing in the world, we would be wise to understand that the mission of God is both unstoppable. There's nothing that can stop the gospel, and yet it is both unstoppable and unhurried. And this cultivation of patience will be key for us as we continue to grow as a church. I love what Alan Crider says again. He, he talks about patience and how and what it means for us. Patience, first of all, is rooted in the character of God. God is, have you ever thought that God is patient? He's not in a rush. Not, not only with you and your own character and being formed in christ but he's simply not in a rush god's gospel goes out across centuries not just months and years we 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 seem to think that that god works in 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 days and weeks and months and years but it took centuries centuries for the roman empire to even feel that christianity was a force god is not in a rush the heart of patience is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus and as we hear those cries in the back and I always want to say never parents never feel anxious or worried about cries because it, it is a visceral that is a sermon that is a visceral reminder that the God who have has have y'all seen the the, the new like uh uh, uh ga- galaxy photos that have coming out like putting Hubble to shame right like James Webb like it's amazing that God would open his mouth that comes out of his mouth, and so does that noise, so does that sound of crying. God is patient in that he became a human being. His incarnation in Christ means that we can also follow a patient lifestyle that participates in God's mission. Patience means that it is not in our control. Patience is not in our human control we who live a patient lifestyle as we pursue that we don't try to manipulate the outcomes we live with risk patience is not in a hurry patience lives at a pace given by god and listen we need to be able to accept incompleteness and waiting we need to learn how to live with an incompleteness and learn how to wait well Patience is unconventional. It reconfigures the way that we behave, right? It reconfigures how we, what we do with our bodies and how we engage in sex and money and power. Patience is not violent. It accepts injury. This is, this is wild for us to get, that patience accepts injury without retaliating in kind because violence is not God's calling and cannot ultimately bring fundamental change. Patience also gives religious freedom. It doesn't compel religious belief. And finally, it is hopeful. It entrusts, listen, it entrusts the future fully and utterly to God. And it's God's beautiful, patient mission worked out across centuries that he's calling you to join in now, that he's calling us to join in as a church It was Justin Martyr who lived in the second century who said that it was the strange, he called it the strange patience of Christians that won over the pagans. It wasn't their arguments. It wasn't their style. It wasn't how similar they were to their culture. It was their strange patience that caused pagans to become believers. And as we cultivate that patient urgency in this community. My hope and my prayer is that many people from all tribes and nations and tongues would pledge allegiance to Jesus in this church. And so that together, together we can do this. After I looked, this is, this is John speaking in, in the book of Revelation. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right? If you remember the, the the Tower of Babel, what happens there? They they're scattered because of their languages. And in Acts chapter 2, they're regathered. And here we get to see this beautiful picture of a group of people that we can't even count all singing in their own languages. Like that is crazy. And this is what they're singing and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The mission of God to renew and to reconcile all things to himself through Christ is utterly and completely and totally unstoppable. This is where the world is headed, towards wholeness, towards shalom. The road that God has chosen to travel towards that end is paved with patience. We plant, yes, but we do so in such a way that isn't anxious because we understand that it's God who brings the growth. We tell and we show the effects in our lives of the gospel, but we do so in a non-coercive way because we understand that it's the Spirit that brings about the new birth into the new kingdom. The mission of God is both what? Unstoppable and unhurried. And if we're going to go to the ends of the earth, it will be on the wings of joy, not program. If we go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, it will be on the wings of joy, not anything else. Mission begins as what? Y- y'all remember, I've been, I've been harking on about this. Mission begins as an explosion of joy. When we begin to enjoy, when we begin to be as excited as those saints in Revelation 7 and we're shouting out salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever, when we are excited about that, when we shout for joy, when we rejoice in the reality that Jesus has saved us from Satan and sin and death and hell, when we wake up to this beautiful new reality of living life in the kingdom with our King Jesus. When we enjoy God more than we look forward to a pain-free experience in heaven, joy. When our joy is found in simply being with God rather than simply accomplishing great things for God. When the joy of our salvation is restored, the way David prays, Lord, restore, and maybe that's the only thing you need to hear today, that you need to go away and pray this, do you have joy in the fact that you have been saved by Jesus, that you are known, that you are seen, that you are loved? When Jesus sends out the disciples in the book of Luke, they come back rejoicing. They say, Lord, man, we cast out demons, They, they were subject to our name, like, if, if we went out today and we went out and we started healing people and demons were being cast out, we'd come back. Yo, this is wild. This is amazing. We should rejoice in that. And what does Jesus say? Like a wet blanket that he is oftentimes. He, gets, he says, do not rejoice. Do not rejoice that demons are subject to your name. Rejoice in that your names are written in the book of life. What would we be? if we cultivated our own joy in Jesus. When our joy is found in simply being with God, because we will naturally share what we enjoy. Ruth and Scott Buchanan, who many of us know, are in the Philippines working to raise up indigenous church planters for joy, because of joy. What motivates them? joy it's joy that we get to partner with them the joy that they have themselves have have encountered in the gospel again the woman at the well it, it, it wasn't a program that she was following it was it was joy at being encountered by jesus as she goes up and she runs tells her enemies about jesus we will become a missional church we will live out our missionary identity only listen i need y'all to hear this so clearly Only in as much as we're enjoying Jesus, and there's still work to be done. There's still seven thousand different distinct people groups in the world, out of about eleven and a half thousand people groups in the world, who do not have an indigenous church in their culture. That less than two percent of them are Christians. So many languages that the Bible, that the scriptures have not been translated into yet. There is still a hell of a lot of work to do and yet we do it in a way that is an anxious, that is non-coercive, that understands and gives over the power knowing that God is in control. My prayer and my hope, as I invite the band up, my prayer and my hope is that we would be fueled by this vision, by this sure hope that one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that the Messiah, Jesus, is Lord and King. May we pursue joy. May we pursue patience. May we be a church that is full of the spirit, a church that bears the marks of the kingdom of God. And may the gospel fuel our obedience to King Jesus as we do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home, remembering that the mission of God is both what? Unhurried and unstoppable. I want to invite Sebastian up to offer an extended prayer uh, for us, for the church, for the mission of this church, uh, but also uh, for Northern Beaches uh, and for Ruth and and Scott and, and the ways that we are all engaged in the mission of God together. I love you. Bless you.